Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Deeper Down Deeper the Rabbit, Rabbit Hole. Hole. And this is Jason M. Caldwell. Giving a big shout out to my co-host Andrea Vitamus, who is going to be producing the live show in the background this week so that he can work on his grad school work. So all of you that are in communication with Andrea, please show him some love. He's been working hard, taking care of family, taking care of school, and still working at his career at the same time. This week, I want to give a little promotion. October 1st, I will be in New Jersey. Go to cruciblecovention.com and look up the Crucible Convention 2016 to gather mages, pagans, mystics, and occultists. Now is the time to book your room and get your tickets in advance so you can save a little bit of money. In two weeks, I'm going to try to get the organizer, Arthur Moyer, on with me so that we can tell you a little bit more about the event and what's going on there. But this week I have a special guest, first time author, who Will Snyder has written a very interesting novel called Lucifer's Game. He's a full-time writer living in the Wyden County of Sonoma, north of San Francisco. Formerly working in business development, Snyder spent years as a licensed director of the world-renowned artist Laurel Birch, as well as a national sales manager in the wine industry and high-tech arena. He is an adventurer at heart, naturally drawn to the edge of things. His current passion is kayaking along the wild Pacific coast. Will has equally experienced a call in to explore and push the boundaries of his inner world and has spent decades deeply immersed in the study of various metaphysical traditions. 35 years of deep training from a variety of exceptional spiritual teachers has allowed him to develop a wide range platform of knowledge and understanding regarding the human inner landscape and our potential range of consciousness. So welcome to the show, Will. Hey, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate it. Oh, it's good to have you, sir. Now, <clears throat> 35 years, that's that's quite a long time to be training in the metaphysical. Um, what what got you started on this path, Will? Uh, you know, I think what happened to me, Jason, is um, I, so I was raised, uh, I was a little Catholic boy, right? And um, I was sort of the black sheep and in my family and in the classroom, I was probably clinically hyperactive, maybe ADD, I don't know, but just buzzing with energy, right? So I was always in trouble. So the religious thing never quite stuck with me because I was being given all this sort of fear-based um, dogma that I, there was something really bad about me. <clears throat> and and the age of about eight, I had this, uh, what I could only describe as a paranormal experience mm -hmm. that was really quite a head-scratcher and quite powerful, and it actually ended up saving the life of a child. Uh, you want to hear this? Well, of course I do. This is intriguing. Okay. So, yeah, I'll give you the short version here. So, uh, so here I am, about eight years old. I'm alone in the house on a Saturday afternoon, which was unusual because there were a bunch of us kids. I'm, I remember distinctly, I'm lying on my stomach, reading on the, on the carpet, 
and I hear a voice in the upper left-hand corner of the room, clear as a bell, and the, the voice said, to, said two words. It said, play golf. And I, I sat up, and I, the hair on the back of my neck just went up. And it was like, but it was like a command, play golf. And here I am, I'm eight years old. I didn't play golf. You know, I, my brother had golf clubs, but I didn't touch his stuff because he'd kill me, right? You know, right, brother. right. So, but this was like an order. So, and it, it, it was so clear. It wasn't some fuzzy something or other. You know, I heard it just like I'm hearing you right now. So I stood up, I go into my brother's room, I get it, I took a golf club and got some balls, I went in the backyard, and we were living in a little Midwestern neighborhood where, you know, little backyards separated by fences. So I started swinging at these balls, and the first ball went nowhere, second ball went into the bushes. The third ball, I hit it just right, and it went, you know, just sailed into three yards over. Mm -hmm. So I put the club down, climbed the fence, went to the yard, climbed that fence, you know, just kept going. I finally see the ball under a tree. So I go get in there, pick up the ball, I turn to leave, and I look up, and out of the branches in the tree above me are are a little pair of tennis shoes just dangling. And then I mm -hmm. noticed that there's a little pair of legs attached to these tennis shoes, right? So I separate the branches and I look up and what I saw was this little kid, about five years old, and he was all decked out in like an army outfit, you know, camouflage, he had a helmet and a backpack and a rifle. And he had strung a rope, like a spider web, sort of branch to branch to branch for some reason. And he had slipped and fallen, and he couldn't move his arms because of his rifle and his pack. And yeah. the, ro the rope had crossed his neck. Ooh. And I don't know how long he had been dangling there, but he had stopped struggling. And he was just there, he was just dangling, and his, his face was purple, and he was motionless. And uh, I grabbed his feet and lifted up, you know, and his head falls back off the rope, and he falls into my arms. And I laid him on the ground, and, you know, I was a Boy Scout at the time, and they teach you that mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, which you yeah. never think you'll ever use, right? Right. So I just started working on him, and over a period of time, I heard a little cough, and then in more time, he actually opened his eyes and he sat up, started crying. And I, you know, I, let, I take him into to his, you know, to the backyard, to his house, and let him in the in the side door. And then I went home, and it just rolled in on me, you know, the the strangeness of what happened, where it was like his. I don't know what you'd call it, his his guide or whatever, his number wasn't up. And and that energy, that being, searched the neighborhood, saw me, and said, okay, kid, you'll do. Now here's how I'm going to get you over there. Oh, wow. Isn't that trippy? And you were only eight years old. That That is very trippy. Yeah. It's so weird. this... This was quite an, uh, an emotional experience for you, I bet, because not well, only did you save this kid's life, who was three years younger than you at such a young age, 
uh, you really no one knew of your deed only you and the, and the child yeah it's really true and but what it did Jason which was so interesting for me was that you know up till then I had been in this sort of Catholic thing where you're supposed to believe in you know you know all these sort of spiritual beings and none of it was sticking well all of a sudden after that experience I had no doubt that there are beings outside of my little world you know I was I heard that voice and it gave me an order and I followed it and and what took place happened and so it was sort of my first real experience with that sort of uh, paranormal realm and right. it opened you know it, it's it, from that point on you know, it wasn't a theory. It was very real to me. So that has stuck with me. And so from that point on, really, that sort of started my little seeker, you know, where you go through that phase where you're seeking. And um, so I started that at a very early age, kind of looking for deeper meaning, deeper, deep, you know, deeper worlds. So out of, out of curiosity, <clears throat> Being raised Catholic at eight years old was your first impulse, angels. Yeah, kind of. It seemed like that. Like it was a, uh, like, you know, at that time, what I would have called that as a little Catholic boy was that was his guardian angel, right? Right. That that went out and needed to get somebody over there, right? And uh, call it whatever I want, you know. <laughs> it was for real. <laughs> I can still hear that voice, you know, just boom, you know, two words and two the the strangest words you'd ever expect to hear, right? You know, it's it's an interesting thing. I I often say that any time any time there's a magical occurrence or spiritual occurrence, nothing can happen unless you take the initiative and take physical action. Now, yes. now in this case, you heard the voice and you actually took a big risk intruding on your brother's things to go out and follow through and actually listen to what the voice told you to do. Right. That's right. I think sometimes we have to meet meet it in the middle, right? Right. It's like we, we got to do our part. Well, personal gnosis of any form without any physical action is just something in your head and nothing more. Yeah, exactly. So tell me, once you once you got past this this phase, you said you you started actively seeking. Now, what would you say was your first system? What what did you first actively start training in, and about what age? Yeah, so you know when my little seeker got going, Jason, I started. Oh, you know, there's any number of books you start in on, you know, the books on Zen, books on, you know, all the Eastern traditions and mysticism and uh, all the all the cool, interesting areas. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was in college, I, the first book that kind of really rocked me was a book called The Master Game. And okay. it was a book by Robert DeRopp. And he had come out of the Gurdjieff system, and he had been a student of, uh, of Gurdjieff. And his book, it was called Beyond the Drug Experience. You know, I, I was experimenting, and 
you know, typical high, uh, college kid with a seeker, you know, <laughs> I was yep, doing yep. LSD, I was, you know, I was just exploring my whole inner world. And this, his point was beyond the drug experience. And he was a, he was a chemist, so he knew all of it. He did all of that himself. But, you know, so his point was he brought me into the, the idea of uh, how consciousness, our consciousness can be, it, it can go vertically. You know, we can be, in any given moment, we can be more awake, more present, or more in a kind of, you know, waking sleep where our mind is pulling us hither and yon and, you know, there's nobody home within me. So uh, the master game set my compass in a particular direction. I found a Gurdjieff school, a fourth way school, which is not an easy path, by the way. Uh, I don't know if you know you know much about Gurdjieff, but I have you know, I have it, some knowledge, and yes, and I've had, yeah, I've actually spoken it, spoken to people that have actively trained in it, and it yeah. is very very intense. Yeah, it's not necessarily one I would recommend, but it worked for me for a long time. And so in it, you know, I just learned so much. There was so much ancient knowledge that is still every bit as valid today. And uh, it's, it's a path of developing will, and so that was good for me. But more than anything, it was about what, in that path, they call remembering yourself, meaning kind of what I was just saying about just realizing that we don't remember ourselves. Typically, we're lost. Our, our consciousness is, is in a state of what, you know, the, the mystics call the state of identification, meaning we're, we're just lost in whatever we're doing. But self-remembering is where you, rem you keep a bit of attention to yourself in any given moment. So you're awake in that moment. So, you know, then it becomes working it like a muscle. And it's very, very slippery state to try to achieve. Yes. And, and yet, I loved it. Every, you know, every time I've been in and out of that thing a million times, in and out of, you know, and that's what I tried to bring forward in my book, you know, wove that kind of information into the tale. So, yeah, so the Gurdjieff work sustained me for quite some time. I, then, I would definitely say that looking at psychological studies, it, it looks more and more like we as humans are creatures of autopilot, studies showing yeah. that things that we do are manifested in our subconscious before we ever take an action. So we think we're making these daily decisions and mm -hmm. probably for the average person, we are running on autopilot quite a bit of the time. Pretty much. And, and you know, it's very interesting to, to see that, you know, it's like, wow, the, the fact that, and what I, what I try to articulate again is like bringing some of that knowledge forward in my story where uh, I think Gurdjieff would say that he would define it as like dimensions you know the third dimension is our regular state of consciousness you know mm -hmm. that state of identification the fourth dimension not the, the fourth dimension that is often spoken of like the astral plane and that type of thing but the fourth dimension being suddenly being present like awake and so we go in, we're, you know, we slip back down into the third, 
lift up into the fourth ever so briefly, and then the gravity brings us back down to the third. You know, it's kind of like a yo-yo back and forth for a long, long time. Well, you know, you either either love or hate my analogy. It's just what popped in my head as I read Lucifer's game. Uh, I told myself, wow, this is like Wave the Peaceful Warrior meets the screw tape letters like you have this antagonistic lucifer character but at the same time he's a mentor and he's pointing out and making the protagonist jackson think and act as a catalyst right so uh, what i tried to do in lucifer's game uh I created a Lucifer character that has no religious connotations. You know, he's not the biblical Lucifer that's right. interested in making us, quote, sin. You know, he, that's not his M.O. My Lucifer is the champion of our shadow, right? All the, all the parts of ourselves that we break off and reject as, like, not me, you know? I mean... That's why I wrote the, the book. I, I got this really strong, again, it was like a message about three years ago, Jason. It was like the message was basically give something back. So here I've been a student for all this time, taking, 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 and taking in knowledge, information, experiences. So give something back. And I thought, well, what do I want to, I could draw from any number of different things. And I knew I wanted to put it in the form of a story. So I, what I've seen about many paths, mine in particular, and my own experience for sure, is that there's a weakness in, in that development where when we consider ourselves a, quote, you know, spiritual person, there's a real strong tendency to lean towards the light, meaning, you know, there's a self-image of a spiritual person that gets developed. I'm loving, I'm kind, I'm generous. You know, I have integrity. These are great qualities and certainly to be enhanced and developed. However, what about my unspiritual side, right? What about all the unsavory characteristics I have that don't make the cut and get split off and pushed down into my unconscious. That's the shadow. And it's nothing I'm <clears throat> inventing. You know, any good psychologist knows this, right? Yes. But on the spiritual path, it's, to me, one of the key proponents to watch out for is don't kid yourself, right? And if... I've just seen it. Where you see it in these highly developed, highly evolved gurus and teachers, for example, that they get halfway up the mountain and have these disastrous falls from grace. Well, why is that? Well, because the shadow comes. They haven't done their shadow work, and it comes up from below and, and can sabotage each of us. Yeah, so I, I, I thought full, I fullheartedly agree with you. Um... I've I've seen over the years that I know there's a lot of debate on union union yeah. <laughs> <Yun> psychology <laughs> as I yeah. slaughter it, um, but I've I've found it to be fundamental to occult work, mystical yeah. work. Um, yeah. 
but yes, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, there's there's often a, a statement said about people. You know, you have the the greatest public facade, and someone might take a poke at that and say, "But you don't know what goes on behind closed doors." Uh, right. You know what what does the person who works really hard on their public facade? What is really going on at the root of That's their personal right. lives? Exactly. Um, because you know. Get, I'll, I'll let you get on going with what you're saying, but it's just the whole idea of how many people take the time to confront who they really are. Right, because who wants to see that? Who, who wants to really see the truth? Very few. You know, it's, not, it's never going to be popular. It's, and that's there, thereby lies the truth. Where if we're just basking in the glow of our wonderful spiritual qualities, and we're ignoring this whole other unconscious part of ourselves that's pulling strings from below, it's like, you know, it's just a recipe for trouble. And and if nothing else, it, it holds us back from from really our development. So I wrote this story with that in mind. It's like, okay, I'm going to shine light on the shadow. On, uh, and so I created my Lucifer holds the ground for that unconscious. Uh, all these unconscious parts of ourselves, which he calls shadowlings, you know, like our, our greed, you know. Yes, I'm a, I'm a generous person, asking any of my friends, but what about my greed, right? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loving person with a big heart, it's true, but what about my hatred, right? That's all right. buried down in my shadow, and if, if I'm clueless about it, then sooner or later, it's going to come up and bite me in the ass, you know, just when I least expect it and blow my life up. And, and it has in the past. So, so, so that's just my story. An- anecdotally, was there any particular reason why you, you went for Shadowland rather than, say, Inner Demon? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the point I was trying to make was not to... Uh, just choosing the name Lucifer, talk about a charged word, right? Right, <laughs> right. You know, it, it means many things to many it. different people. Absolutely. So I've had trouble with that because people who haven't read the book can make an immediate assumption. Of, you know, people that come from a, you know, the, the religious side of the world um, get spooked by, by the title. But the 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 reason I chose um, the shadow and, and my Lucifer's direction is I, I wanted to stay clear of the real de- demonic yes. energies, right? That wasn't my book. It wasn't my point. I think that's very much, th- there are those energies in life for sure. Because and that's you, a different you, story. You were looking to focus more on what is going on with the inner psyche as opposed to confusing people with thinking about external entities. Absolutely. You got okay. it. Exactly. Yes. I, I was talking about, you know, there's, there's the shadow in each of our psyches. And then the second book that I, ha- I think of a trilogy, the second book I wanted create is the shadow in in relationship right everyone's either in a relationship wants to be in one has been in one uh we all know relationship and the shadow 
plays such a big part uh, within that. So the focus of the second book would be to go into the romantic relationship or just relationships yeah. in general. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the third book, I think I might even do the third book second because it's so timely right now, especially look at what's happening on the political scene. It's the collective shadow. You know, the mm. collective shadow is the global shadow on the planet. And and you got a guy like Trump, not to get political, and I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but, you know, he's stirring up the whole collective shadow, meaning the the, the, the shadow of our country. So it's, you know, he's stirring that stew and it's bringing up the racism and the misogyny and the hatred and the fear and all of that. And the collective well, shadow is basically destroying our beautiful, fragile planet. Right, I, and I'm not afraid to go there, Will. That's that's perfectly okay, because actually yeah. Andrea and I have been discussing this privately, having debates back and forth about how <sighs> you could separate the political agenda but what is someone like Trump bringing out in people and why? Why is it becoming in vogue to be more openly misogynistic and racist, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, what is yeah. it about his character as a leader that tells other people, okay, take the governor off, but not necessarily in a good way? Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. And what's happening, I mean, historically, when, when there's a lot of fear, uh, People look for a, a father figure, you know, a, str a quote, strong man to make it all better, right? Like look True. at Germany in the 30s. That was, it, it opened up the door for the rise of Hitler. But what do these people do with their collective shadow, right? They project their shadow onto a group. So in Germany, it was the Jews, right? Mm -hmm. And in our the way it's going these days now it's the muslims right hate the muslims or uh so yeah it's just fascinating to watch the collective shadow and how it's rising up right now and if we don't deal with it it's going to deal with us so taking a step back from that from the collective shadow to the individual shadow yeah um what kind of techniques did you incorporate to acquire knowledge of your personal shadow? Well, I would say the first thing, the first thing is you have to really want to see it, right, Jason? It's not, it's not fun. It's not pretty. Uh, it takes, it really takes courage to want to even go there, to, to look to look under the covers, so to speak, at at what I don't want to see about myself. That's why it's been unconscious, right? I made it unconscious for a reason. I, I did. That's not me. And what I found, and this, I, I was given a, a technique, and again, this, you know, good psychologists know know this. I, I'm not a psychologist, by the way, but. Um, the training I got was the first thing you want to do if you're interested in, in looking to, to see your shadow is to recognize the, that we're using projection, right? So what I can't stand to look to see in myself, 
I project it out in the world. So when there's something that pushes my buttons out in the world, mm-hmm. like I really hate that, or I, that, this guy really pisses me off, or you know something that creates a very strong <laughs> negative reaction, vibration, chances are that's a quality that's in my shadow. And I can't, I don't, it's too far buried for me to see it, so I project it out in the world, and that's so. That's a one way to really get to see what is in there. So that's a, a signal. That's a key signal. So one thing that I have seen is, I mean, the point of what I was trying to get across in Lucifer's game is that. Ultimately, what you want to do is be able to bring your light to your shadow and, and do that with, with your heart and with your loving kindness for yourself, right? And be able to call those shadow traits out of the, out of the dark and, and own them, right? It's like, I, okay, there's my mean-spirited vengeance, Right. Okay. I. Ooh. I feel it. I. I bring it up. I can feel it. I. I breathe. Breathe life into it. I allow it to manifest. So I really understand that part of myself. And then it's like, okay. I. I get it. You're a part of me. I'm not going to reject you. But you're not going to run roughshod over my life. But now you don't have to sabotage me and I won't have to reject you and so with each of these qualities we can start to bring them out of the shadows own them with our with our light and stand between the two and and create this balance I've always been one I'm not one that's been chasing after enlightenment Jason but what's always interested me is balance right Mm -hmm. and so um to me, one of the great balance, balancing acts is to be able to stand between all my light qualities and my shadow qualities and feel that new level of equilibrium instead of just, you know, the, the, the scale being all one and hiding from the other. It's like balancing the two, and out of that comes a new level of truth, of reality, of who I really am. And there's a new sense of equilibrium that, and, and balance that comes from that. And from there, I can actually evolve further. Otherwise, I'm kind of stuck at that split. Does that make sense? Very much so. Yeah. So to give the audience a bit of a prologue to your, your novel, how does the main, the main character, Jackson, yeah. happen upon this relationship with Lucifer? Yeah, so all Lucifer's game, it all takes place in, in 24 hours, basically one full day. And Jackson has had a disaster happen in his life, and the, wheel, the wheels have come off. He's just really a wreck, and he goes to Hawaii to try to pull himself together. And while he's there, he's visited by Lucifer, who shows up in the form of a kind of a big loud tourist with you know a bad taste and 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 aloha shirts and sunglasses and five-day beard and and um and so lucifer 
basically introduces himself and he tells Jackson, look, I, I want to make a deal. I show up every now and then and I need to sort of pick the brain of a, of a person who I think represents humanity uh, at this point in time so I get a fix on how, you, how people think at this point and you know your perspective on life and you jackson can pick my brain to 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 some degree so they they both agree to to be together for a a 24-hour period so that opens up the journey that they go on and lucifer takes jackson on a on a ride, so to speak, where they go from one experience into the next. And what Lucifer's trying to do is show Jackson that to really start to uncover his whole shadow side, which has been buried to him. Jackson's a guy that's been working on himself for a long, long time, but always in the light, and has always just given lip service to his shadow. Well, right. now Lucifer puts him under these, in these situations where he, he's, he tempts him with these different you know different ways and and then Jackson gets sucked in and he starts to see uh, parts of himself that have been buried deeply and so that begins you know that that deepens the intrigue of the tale and then it it comes to a, a major climax which I won't give away right but you know um, the whole point is does Jackson get completely seduced by Lucifer who offers him a tremendous power or does he you know snap out of it and realize he's being manipulated and extract himself or what right so now see what I find what I find find interesting is in a more Gnostic sense Lucifer embodies a light you know Lucifer actually means light bearer light brainer Exactly. Um, so even though your character of Lucifer pretty openly admits, you know, I'm I'm here to keep humanity in the dark. Right. I'm I'm here to, so that you do not you stay in this waking sleep and you don't understand this this deeper nature of yourself. Right. Um, but in doing so, he actually starts to bring Jackson's character into the light. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lucifer basically, he relates that his whole part of Lucifer's game with us is to keep us as unconscious as possible. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he represents the unconscious. He represents the shadow. So what he doesn't want is for us to start waking up. And the reason you find out later that the reason he actually showed up to Jackson is that Jackson's a guy who is waking up, mm-hmm. you know, snapping out of it, just and, and becoming more and more awake. So he got on Lucifer's radar. So Lucifer shows up in order to seduce him into his, you know, into his world. So then it becomes, you know, the the dynamic of how strong is Jackson's, you know, how strong is his his own nature, his real will. Now, Will, you describe in your work three dimensions or levels of consciousness that we as humans are capable of experiencing. Can you, can you walk the audience through those three dimensions? Yeah, so again, this is 
uh, we, we've touched a little bit on it earlier um, in the sense that w when I'm speaking of consciousness, I'm talking about our awareness that in any given moment we're capable of experiencing. Basically, nature left us off in what I would describe as this third dimensional state. That's where all of us hang out. It's, it's what's familiar, you know, the, and what are the characteristics of this third dimension? Well, I'm an individual, um, I'm, I'm, and the main thing is that my state the, in any given moment, if I pay attention, I'll start to see that I'm just not home. I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about the past, the future. I'm, you know, lost on my cell phone. You know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm watching TV, but I'm not here. I'm not present. A statement I like so, to make is the lights are on, but no one's home. <laughs> exactly. Nobody's home, right? And the, the distinguishing factor of lifting into the fourth dimension is that suddenly I'm home. It's like one way I, I experience it, Jason, is suddenly there's some part of me that's awake, that's in my body, and my eyes, for example, are like windows that I'm looking out of. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's an, there's an awake awareness in this moment. And it's very different. It's, it's a subtle distinction, but it's a very clear distinction. And one of the elements is I see that who I take myself to be when I'm in that awake state isn't necessarily my historical me based on, you know, my normal sense of myself is based on a whole lifetime of, of my history that tells me who I am, right? I'm not confused about who I am because my history tells me so. I wake up in the morning, I know exactly who I am because of my history. But in this fourth dimension, who I am is an awakeness, is a, is a beingness, right? So that would be the, the fourth dimension. And from that awake personal presence, there's a fifth dimension. It's what the mystics call the, the state of oneness, for example, or wholeness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when, when we, in our third dimensional experience, we read about oneness, it, it sounds great, but it's kind of like, well, what are they really talking about? We're not one. We're 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 many, right? We're each individuals. What what's this oneness business? Well, in the fifth dimension, that personal awakeness, it's like the drop can can merge into the ocean, and and we see that the universe is a field of beingness that my individual awakeness can merge into the, call it, for lack of a better word, like the cosmic awakeness. You know, time is something we invent to organize our life. Right. But in reality, we're swimming in eternity, right? There is no time. There, there's, there just is an isness. And, and entering that field... The, the individual consciousness can merge into the universal oneness, and that's that's really the uh, the state of uh, some level of realization that kind of awaits us all. 
So I tend not to pull any punches when it comes to the audience and personal work and experiences. Yeah. Um, have you found over the years, as you've worked on this self-awareness, done a lot of self-work, tried yeah. to become more and more aware of yourself and become more conscious in your day-to-day -day life. Now, I'll right. be honest with you. I have found that the more aware I become, mm -hmm. the more trouble I have being patient with people who are more in that waking sleep. Um, it, starts, it starts to rub me the wrong way. It starts to become annoying to me, and I'm not afraid to admit it. You know? Yeah. Uh, what's been your personal experience? Is is, ah. is self-awareness making your life harder in other regards? Well, you know, it does make it harder in, in some ways, Jason. And one way is just what you described, where, uh, you, you know, when you start to wake up, it's a little horrifying when you see that, we're all in this waking sleep, basically, and and then it becomes it, it it rubs us in a very weird way for a while. And I I think that what ultimately what developed for me is as I start to, started to experience how challenging it is to actually be present. It developed a corresponding sense of compassion for myself mm -hmm. for how how minuscule you know two steps forward one step back in the best of times right it's not skipping down the road to enlightenment right it's a very slippery slope so it it gave me compassion for others you know because here I am I have the knowledge I have the will to be there and I'm still challenged it's still incredibly difficult so that that's the other part that's that evolves you know where it's a, a kind of um, empathy for for myself and for others and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you and the audience for me my whole motivation to, to publicly teach uh, and privately teach and, and take clients um, it, it's been this motivation of wow I need more people around that I can relate to at a deeper levels therefore I want to share the knowledge I've acquired and wake more people up so that I can yeah, yeah. it's it, it's weird it's it's a selfish and selfless and a selfish motivation at the same time it's like I want to be selfless and help you people so that I have more people to relate to which in a sense is selfish that's a paradox, isn't it? Right, right. Yeah, but both are true. That, that's the interesting thing. If I help and, you, I'm uh, helping myself. Well, that's it. it it's the old, um, I learn by teaching. And also, I, th I think there's some deep-seated spiritual dictum, for, again, lack of a better way of putting it, that basically states that if, if whatever level you inch your way up in terms of waking up, there is a corresponding level of responsibility that goes with that to give something back, you know, to help, right. to turn around and help. I used to be a mountain climbing instructor, right? So it's kind of like that. To, to, you're leading a climb, but you're helping those that are coming up. It's just part of the deal just as I have been helped by those uh, up ahead of me, right? So it's just 
part it's the nature of 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 growth of, of evolving or you know whatever you want to call it so can we get into an example of a technique someone could use to achieve this wholeness uh, yeah so I think well to, to achieve the wholeness that I'm referring to in Lucifer's game which would be the, 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 from the third dimension to experience the fourth dimension to then experience the fifth dimension and it's mm-hmm. in that fifth dimension where true wholeness resides the, the, the so-called oneness state the real state of enlightened realization that the you know the the real adepts have discovered i think like i'm not i'm not somebody who lays any claim on being enlightened i'm a work in progress myself right right but i've i've had my moments and i think that's the key is to realize like somebody once told me they they went to see the Dalai Lama when he was in San Francisco and got to sit next to the Dalai Lama's right-hand guy. Mm-hmm. And my friend said, well, it must be amazing to be around this enlightened being. And they, they turned to and said, oh, we don't consider the Dalai Lama enlightened. He has enlightened moments. <laughs> that was such good news, right? Yes. So that, right? So we can have moments of... Of, of, of a kind of a, a light going off or a, a realization and and I think the first step is really just to get and again this is only if it's interesting to, to if the soul is wanting to wake up it's to see the truth that we're really in a kind of waking foggy state and we only get that when we when we our head lifts up above the fog bank and and we're suddenly real and we're experiencing that beingness that alive presence that electrifying kind of awakeness that is our deeper nature calling to us right and then so that little sliver of experience can then it, it creates the wish to be back up to that and and so from that entering into that fourth dimension of of a personal beingness if we can sustain that for any length of time that then opens the door where we start to actualize and realize that we're it isn't just our own personal presence the 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 universe the, the the whole life the planet is constantly in a state of of beingness of an awake aliveness and then we can just sort of dissolve into that and really feel it's all one then again we'll just more than likely get just a little taste of it but sometimes it's all it takes to know to 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 sense the difference right you know it's it's funny because i would liken getting the desire to to look for these awakened moments for these moments of enlightenment it's it's much like getting out of that walking sleep is like breaking addiction the first step is one must acknowledge there's a problem to begin with yeah and and we're lucky 
in the sense that I think a lot of us that got into alternative spirituality or mystical experience, it right. came because the universe is in a sense merciful and much like your story from being eight years old, we didn't consciously choose the experience. Something came along that chose us. Right. No, I think you're exactly right. I think we're all fated in different ways. And some of us were dealt a, a hand. You know, most people live out a basic, honorable life trying to get through it in one piece mm -hmm. with the minimum of pain and the maximum of pleasure, right? Right, right. But for reasons of its own, I think the universe has offered some a different scenario to play out. You know, the chance to actually evolve. And so, you know, and, and it's up to us if we're going to play that hand and how well we play it. So, is seeking the enlightened experience, the, the idea of going beyond the day-to-day -day survival, is, is it for everyone? Is it, is it for the chosen few, or is this for everyone? And, and if so, what do you feel it would take to spread this awareness out to the general population? Yeah, that's really a good question. Um, you know, I don't know if it's for everyone. Um, and I don't mean that in, in an elitist way. I just know that uh, most people aren't really interested. And uh, I mean, just on a large scale, and, and, nor have they ever been interested on a large mm -hmm. scale. I think it's really a small, smaller slice, but everyone has the potential. It's like we're mm -hmm. all hardwired. Every single person is hardwired to experience, you know, God consciousness. We're, we have everything we need. The question is to and maybe it's, I don't really understand the idea of lifetimes and that type of thing, but maybe it's, that's part of it. Maybe how many times you've been around the cycle has something to do with it. But I just know that some just have this deep-seated calling. I know I did. And, I, you know, and I, it's, not, it's not made my life easy because I would, in a way, sometimes I wish I had just not had that streak in me because it's, it's a, you know, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing that other people don't have to deal with. On the other hand, you know, the way I look at it, this is not a dress rehearsal. And this is life. And if we have the chance to grow, then do it. That's been the message I've always gotten from my, my deeper nature. Well, Come you know, on. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. For, for me, the whole idea of, say, reincarnation, the jury's out, you know? Yeah. I think for the, for the most part of my life, I've been kind of a one-shot deal kind of guy. But yep. then I've had some weird experiences that go, hmm, there might be something to this. Yeah. But... Either way, I mean, I think whether you're someone who believes in a theory of reincarnation or you're more of a one-shot deal kind of person, to live your life as if this is the only chance you have is probably going to be the most beneficial way to go about it. 
I think so too. Because then, we, if we think, oh, we got plenty of time, then we waste time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like we don't have time to waste, really. Uh, not you know. It's like I all I know is I have a certain amount of finite time left on this in this life, and so the further along I go in my life, the more precious time becomes. So let's, I see that you're, you're putting your work together as a teaching tool for the in-person classes that you're going to be formulating. Um, you've, you've got the books, the main character of the book, Jackson, has a blog. Of course, you're, you're the author of said blog, and Lucifer himself has an advice column. That's part of the humor, right? I'm, I'm going to be honest. I love your humor, man. I I was reading some of Lucifer's advice, and I'm like, hey, this is awesome. <laughs> I I really, I've got links on the page, and I want people to go check out the blogs and experience it for themselves. But um, why, why don't you kind of promote what you're working up toward? I mean, have you started physical classes already? Or are they still in the works? Yeah, it's kind of in, in process. Um because I'm not, uh, you know, I, as I said earlier, I'm not a Jungian psychologist. You know, I, I wanted to, I've been a little hesitant to start my own workshops. Then I got contacted by a wonderful guy, Sigmar Gurken, who's a world-class shadow teacher. He travels the world giving workshops. He read the book. He loved it. And he asked me if I'd partner with him. So... We're going to start in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Our first uh, workshop, weekend workshop, is going to be in October. And then we'll just kind of develop it from there. But this guy's great. And between us, I know what I could bring to the table, but he would bring the real gravitas to uh, between it. We'd make it fun and interesting and, and deep. So that, that's, part of, that's part of the plan. Okay. Um, and that, that's in the works. Okay. Um, do you have a particular place that people should go and, and check for updates? Would that be luciferscame.com? Yeah, I would go to luciferscame.com, and there'll be uh, there'll be updates there, Jason. And uh, if the book is of interest, um, I love supporting the local bookstores, uh, and I'm in their catalog system, so it could be ordered that way, Lucifer's Game, or there's Amazon, of course, and there's an ebook version which makes it real easy to download. But it's a fun read, and and it it takes you. I wove all kinds of knowledge into the story so that it wouldn't be preachy, but it would be, it takes you on a ride and you can absorb whatever level you want to take it in at. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to tell people it's, it's a very interesting story and there are techniques woven into the story. Yeah. I think it's an excellent teaching tool. I, I think that people can have fun with it. Um, we all know some people will will take it as a story, and that's fine. But I think right. there there's techniques behind the story if you really pay attention. Yeah, that's that's what I tried to do is weave that into the tale. So you could take it as a as a fun journey, you know, a novel that pulls you along, or you could really extract what was kind of woven into it. So. 
So we have a couple minutes left before we have yeah. to do the outro music and all that good stuff. Um, right. Do you have any any events coming up you'd like to promote? Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be doing uh, some local you know, some bookstores, but uh, I don't have anything. Uh, Mostly what I'm spending a large part of my time on, Jason, is uh, being invited onto cool shows like yours. So I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm interviewing a lot on radio. Um, but um, that that's really my main focus right now. Well, great. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, oh, me too. i, I got to tell you, you have a wonderful way of, like, pers- I really feel like I'm being heard. You know? <laughs> I can tell by the way the feedback I'm getting back to me. So you're really excellent. I appreciate that very much. I've enjoyed well, this conversation a lot. Let, let me tell you, radio and podcasting is an interesting thing. I was not a natural. I struggled with it. Um, I think I thank Andrea for getting me into it and really pushing me to. Yeah. But I think that this and public speaking go go hand to hand in a lot of ways, and it's yeah. as you know, it's all about self work and trying to become a little bit better than what you were before. Absolutely, <laughs> you got it, and and uh, and to be kind to oneself along the way, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, Will, if you'd stay on the line, we'll talk for a couple minutes after we get yeah. wrapped up. I'm going to go ahead and give Andrea the cue to take us on out and make okay. sure that we don't run over. Yeah. Everybody, everybody have a great week, and we will catch back up in two weeks.